This is your Thursday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. Good to be back with you again today on another nice day. Um, Lots to get to today, as we often do. Going to get to uh, some wild stuff. Had Sarah McClellan uh, talk to her on Wednesday. Um, Play that for you in a little while. Just talking through the wilds. Off-season plans, kind of how the season ended with the disappointment in the playoffs and what kind of what comes next for this team. So we talked through some Kevin Fiala scenarios. Are they really going to pursue and get Marc-Andre Fleury back? How do they improve a power play and penalty kill that really let them down all year and in the postseason, especially considering they don't have a lot of room to maneuver under the salary cap? Does that mean trades? Does that mean improve from with win- improvement from within what does that mean in terms of how they get better next year instead of just standing still treading water hoping for the best in the playoffs because you know this was a very successful year but it ended in very familiar fashion with that first round playoff exit so we'll get into that in a little bit here Minnesota United result from yesterday we got to talk through that a little bit the Wolves pursuing a new candidate for their president of basketball operations job an interesting name to hear in that role so we'll get to that in a little bit and maybe a little vikings talk at the end as well but first what did i miss i feel like we need to talk about the twins um and just the just the general conversation around this team right now because i feel like it's been very angry this week it's been focused on two things right it's been focused on the news that byron buxton um, that the Twins have a plan for him to play about 100 games, maybe a little bit more this season. So they're giving him a lot of scheduled rest, you know, playing him essentially two out of every three games in, in hopes of getting him through the season healthy and into the playoffs. And the uh, the news that Royce Lewis has been demoted to AAA St. Paul after a strong stint while Carlos Correa was on the injured list. Both those things have made fans angry, and I get the anger. I'm, I'm, you know, kind of there with you in a certain degree. I think the Buxton stuff is interesting, to say the least. That's a, maybe a Minnesota interesting. When we say that in Minnesota, we don't necessarily mean interesting. We passive-aggressively mean it's not a great decision. Um, and, the, and the Lewis thing is questionable, too. I think you look at it and you say, this is a guy who's, who they could use right now. This is a guy who belongs in the lineup, who's shown he can play at this level. Even Twins players saying they were surprised by it. Tyler Duffy uh, had a good quote in uh, in the uh, in, in the Star Tribune. I read in uh, Phil Miller's story saying, you know, we were all a little shocked when you get a first-round pick and they come up and do well. That's a good thing. Hopefully he can keep it rolling. Um, and Carlos Correa saying, you know, Royce has been playing great. He's one of the best players on the field since he's been up. So, yeah, it was sort of a surprise. So, so you've got those narratives that have been driving the conversation with the twins and you know those are controversial topics of course we're going to talk about those of course we're going to you know chew on all of that information try to make decisions try to make form opinions things like that but i also feel like the negative can overdrive the conversation sometimes it can it can dominate the narrative when really it shouldn't and let's let's back it up just a little bit because the twins are 22 and 16 now after absolutely clobbering the A's 14 to 4 on Wednesday afternoon. 22 and 16. Start of the year 4 and 8. That means they are 18 and 8 since then. They are in first place in the American League Central by three and a half games. So 
two things can be simultaneously true at the same time. One, you can question some of the decisions they've made, and two, you can enjoy the season. You can like this team. You can be pleasantly surprised that this is a first-place team without having to, every time we, we talk about it, say, well, they didn't play anybody good or they're not you know they're not doing this they're not doing that i don't know if it's going to last things like this yet all that is good for analysis all of that is worthy conversation but when a team is in first place and you're focusing all of your energy on the negative or the controversy that's that's not fun right that's not why we watch sports that's not what this is all about is it i mean if you just watch sports to complain or watch sports to criticize i don't know i it's, it's just it's a tough way to be a fan so what I'm saying is this. <clears throat> I feel like we need to appreciate this team a little bit more right now. They're almost a quarter of the way into the season. They're on pace for 94 wins. They are leading a bad division. Let's face it, this it's a bad division. We've we've pumped that narrative, too, that this AL Central does not look like it's going to be very good. It's a long season, of course. The White Sox, Cleveland, I don't know about anybody else, but, but those two teams could catch fire at a certain point. You know, become a, 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 a get on a pace to win 90 games and make this a real division, a, a real competitive division. But for right now, the Twins look like the best team in this division. So, what I'm saying is this two things, like I said, can be simultaneously true. You can criticize moves that they've made, but if you forget to just watch the games and appreciate what's going on in the field, I mean, they've ever since the Buxton controversy, which came about Saturday, ever since that game where he didn't pitch it, they've won three out of four. Um, you know, Carlos Correa had a great game yesterday coming back from his injury. He's, he's a very, very, very good player. Um, there are reasons that Royce Lewis isn't necessarily with the team right now. You can't have him just playing all over the field, at least not right now when he hasn't learned other positions. Um, the plan all along was to have him take over in 2023 after he's had a full minor league season hasn't played really for two and a half years before this year because of the pandemic season and because of ACL surgery. So let's give this a little time. His small sample size this year has been very good, but let's wait a little while and see if he really is worthy of this. Now, the Buxton stuff, I don't think that's going to go away all season. I got an email uh, from another listener, another reader the other day talking about the Buxton stuff. Uh, Aaron from Silver Bay saying, the point that Jim Suhan misses in your podcast is this, sitting Buxton for one third of the games does not guarantee his health. He can hurt himself in 10 games played. All it guarantees is the Twins' best player isn't doing anything to help the team win in those one-third of the games missed. And that is the problem with Baldelli and the current management. Having a player who is signed to make $100 million and then saying he won't play in one-third of the games in order to rest is a slap in the face to every working person who works all year long for $40,000 not playing a game. That person has to pay $500 for four tickets for his family to attend a game, buy hot dogs and soda and a souvenir plus parking, and they don't get that. It's offensive to the average working person to hear that, and the Twins need to remember that. That can be true at the same time as you enjoy this season. We don't have to, you know, we don't have to compartmentalize necessarily. Those those two things can sit next to each other and coexist. But if you forget the one at the expense of the other, I just think it's a tough way to be a fan. And right now, I feel like the enjoyment of this team, the enjoyment of a first-place team, is a little bit lacking, and maybe we need to uh, get back on that piece of it a little bit more. 
Take a playcation to Mystic Lake for 24-7 gaming, fun restaurants and bars, and luxurious hotel rooms. And join Club M to bask in the rewards. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. I am joined today on Daily Delivery by Sarah McClellan, covers the wild for the Star Tribune. As you all know, she's been on many times. I'm sure you've read all of her coverage, Star Tribune, startribune.com, including in Thursday's paper and online Thursday, kind of a breakdown of the Wilds roster, just like a status report of where they all stand. It's complicated, but not really all that complicated because a lot of these guys are under contract, Sarah, and we'll get to that here in a minute. But I wanted to ask you just right off the bat, we have not talked since the season ended last week. Um, actually, a, a week ago, Thursday was that 5-1 loss in St. Louis that finished off that series and finished off their all-too-brief um, stay in the playoffs. As, as you have talked to, you know, post-game after that game, as you as players have been available, Bill Guerin talked earlier this week. What's the kind of mood outlook after such a successful regular season, but not taking a step in terms of the playoffs from you know the year before, where they also played a long series, but ultimately lost in that first round as well. Disappointment for sure, uh, because of that performance in the playoffs and obviously being eliminated in six games by the blues. But I think another uh, takeaway was just kind of maybe how uncharacteristic for the wild uh, this letdown was in terms of this was a team that all season long to get to this point, to be, second in the Western Conference and hosting a first round playoff series had built its success on uh, being able to overcome adversity and being resilient and being able to just find a way and persevere, especially in difficult situations like falling behind in games, falling behind and needing to rally in a third period. And when that obviously was presented in the playoffs in the form of a series deficit in terms of being in an elimination game and giving up the first goal and having to play from behind, that same kind of spunky moxiness, it just wasn't there. Um, you know, the Wild struggled, obviously, when St. Louis kind of took hold of the series and especially, I think, going back to game five, uh, you know, to be 2-2 going into the third, a very quick goal early in the third by Vladimir Tarasenko. Um, and it just, the Wild didn't have an answer for that. And then you saw even more uncharacteristic kind of breakdowns in its own end. And obviously the offense wasn't there. And scoring had headlined this season. Scoring was a big part of this team's identity. The team just couldn't generate that offense. So you're right a successful regular season, a franchise record regular season, but a finish that really wasn't indicative of how the wild got there. You know, obviously one of the big stories of the postseason, aside from, you know, how momentum turned in game five and carried into game six was special teams. And that was, you know, we knew that was going to be a storyline going in. You wrote a lot about it and it was absolutely correct. St. Louis ended up scoring, I believe, eight power play goals. Wild had four, and they both had about the same number of chances. So it wasn't like just a parade to the penalty box for, for either team. Um, you know, St. Louis had a top five power play and a top five penalty kill coming in. The Wild had bottom half in both. Knowing what we know about the roster, it's you know probably going to have to be an improvement in those areas from within. The power play is the baffling one since they're such a good 
six on five team since they're such a good five on five team. Why aren't they good five on four? And the penalty kill feels like it maybe could be more of a systems thing than anything. But how do they improve internally and with you know units that frankly have struggled not just this year but you know in some of the years past as well? It's probably going to mostly be the same personnel too because so many of those players that were playing on the power play and special teams and the penalty kill were, are under contract. So if the personnel is going to be pretty much the same, you know, I think pretty much only the option that could change is kind of the scheme and the setup. And I, I think that is something that is obviously on the wild radar is improving those areas. Um, you know, it was something even coach Dean Evanson mentioned is that, you know, the, there's only so many setups and kind of strategies that a team can utilize, uh, but it's something that they have to switch up and try to find obviously a better formula for this group. I think the power play struggles were most baffling because these were players that at five on five were scoring at a incredible rate and obviously having career years. And then you put them in a situation where they have an advantage they have one more player on the ice and it just didn't connect. It just didn't translate. So, so again, I, I, you know, maybe looking at the scheme, looking at the setup again, there's only so many maybe type of, of position, you know, setups that they can try, but still that's something that obviously let them down in the playoffs and kind of came back to haunt them that it didn't get fixed or it just didn't get that rhythm or consistency during the season and same with penalty kill too. So big, you know, kind of big, I think areas to improve going into next season, but again, probably going to be the same personnel. So we'll have to probably see just how creative the wild can get in trying to find, you know, that improvement. You mentioned a lot of the same personnel next season. We talked about that a little bit at the, at the start too. Uh, that's a good transition point to, you know, a lot of the, the decisions they have to make this offseason. I mean, the biggest one, and this is no secret, we've talked about it for almost the whole year. As soon as Kevin Fiala signed that one-year $5.1 million deal going into this season, we kind of framed it as a prove-it year, and he, he proved it. Um, but the Wild probably kind of knew all along that it was going to be hard to afford Kevin Fiala based on, like we said, the, the buyouts from Zach Parisi and Ryan Suter costing $8 million more next year than they did this season and, and add another couple million to those uh, in the two years after that. You know, as, as you think about this, is there any way that Kevin Fiala is here next year? Because it sure didn't sound like Bill Guerin was too optimistic about that. And it's just kind of the reality of the business at a certain point. Uncertainty was how he described it. And that's very fitting for this situation because the math makes it look very difficult to try to re-sign him. He's obviously coming off a one-year $5.1 million contract and played clearly well enough to merit a raise, but the budget is tight. And the Zach Parise and Ryan Suter buyouts are eating up more of the team's cap space. And so there really is just less spending power for this team. And that could cost them Kevin Fiala in the way of them having to trade him because they simply cannot afford to keep him. Um, you know, we'll see how this, this off season transpires. It's still obviously very early. I know right now, Bill Guerin had said he isn't actively trying to create more cap space, pre up cap space, which obviously would mean moving out contracts. Um, but that is obviously an option that the team would have was, you know, to trade someone to create more flexibility. But 
it's, it's just the reality that this team is dealing with and is going to be dealing with as the costs of these buyouts escalate. And, you know, Bill Guerin just said this, basically, this is their situation. This is their reality. They're going to deal with it. And this is basically the first real summer where that pinch is felt. And obviously it coincides with Kevin Fiala contract being up and it very well could lead to his exit. How does the wild, you know, respond from that? If that's ends up being reality and ends up happening, we'll see. I think all along, especially when these buyouts were executed, the mindset was that younger players on cheaper entry level type contracts would have to come in and help fill out this roster. And maybe next season that becomes more of a reality. Maybe a Marco Rossi is here for more than just a couple games. Obviously Matt Boldy settled in this year, Brandon Duhame, Connor Dewar was more of a factor. So we'll have to see how it, how it transpires, but um, the timing of it, obviously, for Fiala to have a career year, a first-time 30-goal score, you know, to become such a factor in the regular season, obviously only had three assists in the playoffs, but still how impactful he was in the regular season. And now then to be at this crossroads with him and a contract, it's probably a very difficult position to be in since 30-goal scores don't come around very often. They're just so hard to find and even maybe even develop. You, you probably have to. That's probably the only way nowadays because so rarely are they traded. Um, so it, it's, it kind of is a crossroads summer for this wild team. And, and I think, you know, Piala is obviously at the top of that list, just trying to figure out what his future is and if it can be here with Minnesota. You know, in terms of top nine, forwards who would replace Fiala. You know, their lines had such balance this year. 30 goal scorers rarely come to the wild. They had three of them this year, which was, you know, I imagine I don't have that off the top of my head. I got to imagine they'd never had three 30 goal scorers in a season. At least I don't remember them having three 30 goal scorers in one season. And they have like six 20 goal scorers too, like something with two on each line. So such balance there as you think about how they not necessarily replace Kevin Fiala, the, you know, the, the, all the production, but is there an in-house candidate already that, you know, do they think Tyson Jost can move up into a top nine role as, you know, as maybe Marco Rossi takes over a center spot or how do you think they kind of finesse the lines as they, you know, kind of a, a ways down the road, things will sort themselves out in camp and things like that. But, you know, thinking about how their lineup might look without Fiala is an interesting thing to think about. Yeah, it'll probably be if, if, Fiala isn't here, it'll probably be the biggest question at training camp because you're right. One of the defining characteristics of, of this past season's team was its depth and its balance and that it was very set in its lines. And that can kind of be unusual in, in hockey in the NHL because so much, so much we see different lines and scrambling and trying to find different looks and that consistency kind of stood out. And, and I think it helped the wild. There was predictability. And I think that was another big key for this team was just kind of knowing what you were getting from each line and each line's identity. So if that's gone and, and, you know, one line now looks different, um, it'll be interesting to see if, if they gel and find the same chemistry. Marco Rossi obviously is a center. So if he's someone who could come into this lineup, potentially maybe that moves someone like Frederick 
Goudreau to the wing. He has that versatility. Obviously, Coach Dean Evison is very familiar with Goudreau from their time previously with the Nashville organization. And he he has that ability to play on the wing, even though he did play up the middle um, a lot this season. So maybe he goes to the wing. And um, I think you mentioned too, Tyson Joes. I think he could be an interesting player as well, because I think that was part of, you know, when the team acquired him that he had this maybe untapped offensive potential. And, you know, maybe he would get more of an opportunity here with the wild to showcase that than he had previously in Colorado, obviously towards the end of the season into the playoffs, he filled out a fourth line with Brandon Duhame and Nick Delorier. But if there is that potential there and the wild wants to see if he has that, and can deliver that, maybe he is a candidate to jump up into the top nine and maybe that fourth line then ultimately shifts. So I think there are some possibilities, uh, but you're right. I think it's important for this team to find that because that was so key to the success this past season was this team's consistency, set lines, balance, depth. And it obviously looks like it can continue to be a recipe for success uh, based on the results from last season. Last thing for you, Sarah, the biggest interesting thing I think that Garen said Tuesday that surprised me a little bit was the idea that Marc-Andre Fleury could come back. I mean, he was a, you know, we we assumed he was kind of a rental, you know, 37 year old veteran acquired for a, a big playoff run. That didn't happen, obviously, not, you know, not all his fault, not even like mostly his fault. I think I played okay in the playoffs, but you know, with Cam Talbot only under contract for one more year and any kind of bridge to a future goalie being maybe a year or two away, at least it's an interesting possibility. It's someone they know now that they've gotten to know a little bit better, but it's still, you know, it's not going to be cheap and you're already paying Talbot a veteran salary. So how exactly does that work? You know, given what they have and what they would have to spend on Marc-Andre Fleury. We will see because we know what the math looks like now. We'll see if they need to create any cap space to try to pursue flurry, but that is uh, on their radar. You know, Bill Guerin said they will retry it. They will try to re-sign Marc-Andre Fleury and Fleury said he will consider re-signing here. Um, So we'll see if something gets worked out, but you're right. It, it, It obviously would give some clarity to a position that really is been in flux since the arrival of Fleury and the departure of Capo Kakinen, obviously um, Cam Talbot is the only one obviously under contract for next season, but you know, how does the on ice um, sharing work then, you know, it was a, a rotation, pretty much a game by game rotation for a while between Fleury and Talbot until Fleury kind of took over more towards the end of the regular season. And then obviously played mostly in the playoffs until game six um, you know, Dean Evison said that it really was Flurry's championship experience, having won three Stanley Cups that, in his words, tipped the scales in Flurry's favor to start in the playoffs. Um, but in the regular season, when they rotated, it, it kind of worked for the Wild. So it kind of makes sense if the team would want to bring that back and have them kind of share a workload. Um, kind of kept both goalies sharp, it looked like. You know, they knew the schedule, it seemed like, to kind of figure out what worked for them and when their starts would be. Um, but you're right, you know, figuring out the money, 
figuring out how much they can afford to pay for that position, especially if they have to fill out some other areas on their roster and what that looks like with, you know, Jesper Walstead signed his entry-level deal, but it sounds like he'll be in Iowa. Um, the team envisions him playing there next season in the minors. So goaltending is a tough position to project, but how long, you know, maybe will he need experience wise in the minors before he's ready for an opportunity in the NHL. So a position that's been kind of set for the last few seasons is now very intriguing and kind of, you know, under the microscope to see how the wild adjusts and treats it moving forward. But Flurry obviously, you know, made an impact in his short time here in terms of kind of, like I said, getting in that rotation with Calvin and then obviously started five of the six games in the playoffs. The Wild will try to re-sign him, but we'll see if something can get resolved. Well, neither goalie is probably at the point of his career where he should be playing 55 to 60 games either. So it does, you know, more, you know, 40-40 split does make a certain amount of sense in terms of keeping both of them sharp and healthy. I know next year won't be quite as compressed, right? You don't have that, you know, you don't have the, the, the Olympic break that didn't end up being a break um, or that didn't end up being necessary when they didn't go there. So maybe a little bit more chance for any goalie to rest, but yeah, both those guys veterans. So having them share the net does make some sense. I'm just, it will be interesting to see how Bill Guerin finesses all of this financially and how they're going to, I don't think there's going to be a dollar that is not accounted for on the cap because uh, they've, they've got to count every, every bit of, of what they've got, if they're going to, you know, be as good as he thinks they're going to be again next year. I think we've seen too for goaltenders, the days of one goalie starting 70 games, just, just doesn't exist as much anymore. You're right. I think there is more to more of a two goalie system, a tandem, a more even split. I, I think teams still have the hierarchy. There's still maybe a starter, but I think this more getting, you know, two goalies in the mix and alleviating this grind of an 82 game season, I think we're seeing that more. So it, it wouldn't be, you know, a shock for the wild to try to do that. Um, I, I just think we're seeing more balance. You know, we talk about balance and depth. I think that extends to goaltending too in today's NHL, just with how fast the game is, how skilled the game is, how talented it is. Having two goalies um, can certainly help teams, you know, weather the season, weather the grind and try to combat, you know, which is obviously becoming a very high scoring league. Absolutely. And we'll be watching Colorado and St. Louis. I'm sure the wild will too, to kind of see, you know, it's not going to be an easy division going forward. Those teams, those, both those teams look like they're going to be pretty good for a while. And there's some depth in that division as well. So they can't just stand still and expect to get better, but a lot of this still to be sorted out and we will be on it all the way. Sarah McClellan will be writing about it all this off season, although maybe a little bit of a break at some point here. I hope Sarah, Enjoy uh, any downtime you get, and we'll talk again soon, okay? Thank you. Like I said, you can read Sarah McClellan's kind of player-by-player breakdown, who's going to stay, who's going to go. Not a ton of tough decisions beyond the Kevin Fiala one, and to me, as much as that is a interesting decision, it's not going to be one that takes a lot of thought because you just can't afford him. I don't think you're going to be able to afford him. It's a hard salary cap. He's going to make a lot of money next season. And that's just that's just the nature of the business. He's a very good player, but he's not an irreplaceable player. And so I think that is the thing that's going to have to give as you consider the rest of this, uh, <clears throat> you know, this this wild roster going forward. Minnesota United had a one-one draw with the LA Galaxy on Wednesday at Allianz Field. Beautiful night for soccer. 
almost ruined by you know some the kind of the same problems the the loons have had all season long. Jerry Zagoda and I talked about this on Wednesday's podcast, not cashing in their chances, and it looked like it was going to be a loss after having the better chances for almost the whole night. They outshot LA, you know, almost a two to one margin. Had uh, had eight to four shots on target advantage, but it was still nil nil after eighty minutes, and the Galaxy get one in I believe like the eighty third, eighty fourth minute. Um, a penalty kick awarded on video replay after a handball was called. Looked like they were going to be sent off um, with a with a disappointing one nothing result until Robin Ludd scored in the 87th minute to at least salvage a draw. But it's the same thing. They've they, Ludd had a ton of chances in this game that he did not cash in. Um, it's just been the same problem all year. And Adrian Heath, you know, upset after the game. Maybe not so much at his team for not finishing those chances, but that they didn't get more of a reward for, you know, for, for their efforts. So until they start cashing in chances, and if it keeps happening, it keeps happening, it keeps happening. Um, you know, I don't know if it's the system, if it's the players, but they need to fix something. Something is not working in the final third. It's like when the wild couldn't score in the playoffs, you know, three, four or five years ago, you know what they did? <clears throat> Bill Guerin came in and brought in new players and they, you know, they haven't had, a ton of playoff success yet, but they've looked more like a competitive playoff team. They've looked like they could score some goals in the postseason since then. So I don't know. You can't just change over an entire roster, but something is not working here for the Loons, and they need to figure that out as the season goes along, or else this is going to be a year not only where they don't experience postseason success, they're not even going to get into the playoffs. Let's finish with the cooler. Really interesting basketball insider on in today's Star Tribune and on StarTribune.com by Chris Hine talking about the Wolves' pursuit of Tim Connolly, executive with the Nuggets, who's been with Denver GM and president since 2013. They are hoping to hire him for their president of basketball operations job. They want him to run the team. Interesting dynamics there in play. you got Sasha Gupta, who's been running the team since Gerson Rosas was fired in September, right before the season started. Gupta hasn't made a ton of big moves. He did sign Patrick Beverly to an extension. Um, you know, they retained Chris Finch on a longer-term contract, but aside from that, he hasn't done a whole lot. That said, they've got some continuity going. They've got some good chemistry here. So Chris kind of outlines all those things about the you know the risks and the rewards of bringing in a complete outsider to uh, to run this thing. Um, you know, Connolly's made some really good decisions in Denver. He's also made some questionable ones. I mean, he brought in. He was he was there when they when they drafted Nikola Jokic, um, which is obviously a, a, a massive get, a two time MVP. Um, you know the, the Jamal Murray draft was certainly a good one, but there's also been some other ones that didn't go their way. But Denver got built up to the point where they were a you know a legitimate contender in the West, and maybe he's the kind of person who could help the Wolves in that regard. So that'll be interesting to watch. Plus the dynamic of you know who wants to make this hire is this a a-Rod, Mark Laurie hires is a Glenn Taylor hire as that transition happens in the balance of power with that too. So really good piece by Chris. You should go read that and we will be watching this story as it goes along. That will do it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed it. Great one coming up on Friday. Bud Grant, former Vikings coach, legend, Hall of Famer, will be on the show as he celebrates his 95th birthday. Great conversation with him. Recorded that a little bit earlier this week, so I hope you enjoy that one, and we'll give that a listen. We'll also talk a little bit more Vikings from minicamp on Friday's show. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I'm Michael Rand. Be back at it again on Friday.